Happy Wednesday, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sheer Crime. I'm Kenzie. And I'm Amy. Today, we'll be covering another episode from the A&E documentary series, The Killer Speaks, on Hulu, featuring convicted killer Robert Lopez. We'll be looking into the horrifically gruesome murder of Brandy Bernard and the attempted murder on Libby Williams at the hands of the man they loved. Robert's upbringing was anything but easy. His father wasn't in the picture, and his mother tried her best to keep a roof over her children's heads. Robert's anger-filled outburst started as a young child and only got worse as he matured into adulthood. He could not deal with the feelings of abandonment, which most likely stemmed from having an absent father. Whenever he felt as though he was being rejected or betrayed by a girlfriend, he would retaliate with pure rage and violent acts that he'd blame on the demon inside of him. Could his reasoning of an absent father and a hard upbringing be to blame? Or is this cold-blooded killer refusing to take responsibility for his actions? Friday. Oh my gosh. Thank God it's Friday. It is. Oh my God. It's been a week. Oh my God. Has it been a week? I am so exhausted. I feel like I'm running off four hours of sleep the entire week. You probably are. It's been crazy. So busy. Every day is like jam-packed. Like I told you, it's like day to day I have to plan it by the hour. Like I need to know what I'm doing by the hour because there's so much stuff to get done. It's nuts. No so thanks. this is my release. I'm here. I'm so excited. We get that to have a drink. Friday. <laughs> I know. And we get a drink. I am officially back to work. Yes. It's been two weeks now. The worst two weeks of my life. It's no. it's such a hard transition <sighs> from being off for so long and just adjusting to life with a new baby. And then you have to go back to work and get that adjustment figured out. Like for real. Work and home life. It's just different. Well, and some of my job is working from home. So the weird part was the first day I was technically working from home, we brought Gabriel to daycare and my husband's like, so how does it feel to be at home? And I'm like, weirdly enough, it feels like he's never been here. It feels like I just picked right back up to what things were like pre-baby in the world, except for the fact that I'm walking around pumping like a, you know, fucking cow. (laughs) Like, other than that, other than juicing myself, you know, multiple times a day. It was like, this is really weird. Yeah, it is. It's such a strange concept because most mothers, after having a baby, don't want to go back to work. I no. mean, that's never something we want to do, and it's hard enough at three months. I mean, right. babies need you until at least six. Uh, yeah. I mean, we need to vouch for that. Six years, right? You- they need you till, for at least the first six years. <laughs> and our job still needs to pay us for those six years that we're not there. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> if only, right? Sign me up. Well, after this really hard week that we have both been through in for totally different reasons what is it that we are going to kind of unwind with you br- you brought over something 
yes. you're laughing. Yes, I am. Okay, because I, I remember, I think you posted something on... I sent it to you directly on Social TikTok. media or something. <laughs> yes, you sent me something in regards to the new plaid Bud Light seltzers that they were, they came out with for, like, fall or autumn. Yeah. And you were saying, like, how awful they looked and all this stuff. And that day, I had literally went out and bought a pack <laughs> Because I wanted to try the the red apple crisp one. And the other ones, I was like, well, maybe they're probably not too bad. Not a huge pumpkin spice fan. I thought the toasted marshmallow might not be bad. It's really sugary. It kind of reminds me of like cream soda almost, but like really just a lot of sugar. So it's it's like almost instant gut rot. You can have maybe half of one because it's a lot. But today, (laughs) and these might be horrible. I don't know. We're going to be having the maple pear. I'm sorry, what? Maple pear Bud Light seltzers. I have not tried this flavor yet. What in the Canadian <laughs> is that? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm kind of excited because I I literally feel like we're gonna just be drinking syrup. But I could be wrong. right. Like, is this gonna be breakfast? I don't know. I'm very excited. I'm a little overtired, but here we go. Here we go. All right. Well, let's pop those tops. Let's do it. I just cut my nails. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. I got it. Woo! We got it. Oh, my gosh. It totally smells like syrup. (laughs) It does. Oh, I'm, like, semi-afraid to take a sip of this. I Okay. So, like, when I have breakfast things that need syrup, I put, like, the bare minimum. I don't like an overload of syrup because it's too much. And you brought maple. And we... (laughs) the only like two i could bring same. unless we did pumpkin spice so oh god <laughs> oh i think i would have thrown up so here we go cheers to okay. our maple pear i can't even plug my nose with one hand right now i'm holding a baby all right here we go that is very it's very syrupy it's flavor very syrupy very syrupy oh my gosh that's all i'm tasting in the back of my throat now it's all I'm tasting is like the the after. It tastes like sugar-free syrup. Where they put in a ton of stevia. I don't know if I've ever had that kind. Ugh. Oh, it's not good. Not <laughs> good. <laughs> Shit. He's even upset about yeah, it. He is upset about this. He's very upset. <laughs> the first tiny bit of the first sip makes you think it's going to be pear flavored. And then that maple comes in. Oh. And beats the shit out oh. of the pear and your mouth. Oh. Oh. Okay, we're going to switch up our drink tonight because yeah. that's not great. That's <laughs> gross. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to say a no to that. That's a hell no. Do not spend your money unless you are that person that could literally drink syrup. Yes. Unless you're Buddy the Elf, don't buy these. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pause. All right, we're going to do this again. Okay, yeah, we yeah. Need a, we need a redo on that. We're not doing the whole maple syrup That's thing. That's a first fail. That was, I think, that was. We have made it over a year <laughs> without a beverage fail. Okay, and then we're now back to our Wisconsin. And now we're back to the, you know, the Here MVP. We Here we go. This is this is the best. I did open it a week ago, so I apologize. But I think at this point, anything is better. Oh, no. That's fabulous. This is, <laughs> oh, get those away. Well, Amy, without further ado, now that we have good drinks, I'll have you start us off on this week's episode on Robert Lopez. All right. 
So again, this is that episode, The Killer Speaks. So we get to hear from Robert throughout the entire episode. So in the beginning, we're getting a little bit of screen text flashing, telling us that we're in Berlin, New Hampshire. And we hear the voice of our killer. And he says, quote, I'm Robert Lopez. I'm incarcerated in a New Hampshire state prison for murder, end quote. We find out that 42-year-old Robert Lopez has had trouble controlling his anger and has a history of violence that goes back decades. He looks terrifying, by the way. Like, no emotion. You know how they say that people have those dead eyes? Total dead eyes. Oh, my gosh. Well, we kind of find out why. There is a a reason behind it a little bit. But he looks very unemotional and scary. We find out that in 1994, he had stabbed a girlfriend 13 times. In 2005, with a hammer, he beat to death another girlfriend who was pregnant at the time with his child. But the question always remains, what led him to murder? Oh my God, beating someone with a hammer. Honestly, it can't. Like, although I feel like it would be more satisfying than a knife. Just the blows. Oh, I know. Oh my, hammers are heavy. They are. Oh my, ugh. I'm thinking more of the sound. Oh my God, no. I can't even picture that. Yeah, no, you don't want to. There really isn't, I mean, there probably, I don't, why? Why are we going, we shouldn't be going into too much detail here, but. I mean, in all honesty, we both thought about it. With like a (laughs) knife, it probably doesn't make a lot of noise. Maybe like a, like a, you know. (laughs) Did you just try to make the sound? I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> but you know, like probably like a sliding type of noise, yeah. whereas a hammer would not. No. It would be loud. I'm oh hearing I'm hearing like a mush sound with oh, it. No. Robert goes on to tell us that, quote, somebody else takes over me, end quote. And then he goes on to say that he calls this person the devil or a demon. The forensic psychiatrist that is a recurring character in this series, Dr. Sasha Bardet, comes back and he tells us in this episode that the question is, what releases this devil or monster that Robert claims to be taken over by in these times of rage? We're in Manchester, New Hampshire. It's July 21st of 2005, and police enter Robert's home in search for a missing woman. But inside, they make a gruesome discovery. Detective Captain Nick Willard of the Manchester Police Department tells us that upstairs, you see a bedroom door with a hole in it, clearly showing that there had been some violence that had happened in this room. Before even seeing the victim, he knew, like, this was not a normal situation he was walking into. Correct. The victim is a missing woman, 19-year-old Brandy Bernard, And at the time, this is Robert Lopez's pregnant girlfriend. David Ralph, a former New Hampshire assistant attorney general, says that she appeared to have been beaten to death, basically blunt force trauma. Robert tells us how it's crazy that you can love somebody, but also try to kill them. I mean, I think it just goes on to show just how fucked up this guy's brain is. He's very revenge focused throughout this entire episode. He says that he won't stop until he sees the person who hurt him hurt worse. Yeah. Like, such a childish fucking mentality. Well, and I also feel like his education level is very low. Oh, yeah. Just the way he talks, 
the way he carries himself. It I almost feel like he's like a 13-year-old. Yeah. When he speaks. Yeah. Like he clearly looks like a 50-year-old man or however old he is. Yeah. But the way he talks and the way he acts towards like he always feels like people are accusing him of things. So like when they oh. say something, like even the interviewers so defensive. Ask yes, always. Like he has to be on the defensive end and be like that never happened and yep. you can you know it's total bullshit. He's lying throughout the whole entire thing. So yep. yeah, it's uh it's very very scary to hear someone say something like that. Right. But it's true because if you think about it, a lot of murders happen with spouses or lovers. Yeah. Right? You still love the person, but like when they betray you, you feel at your worst because it's someone you love, right? right. Or you feel like you're betrayed. So I get it, but it's very scary to very scary. see someone say it on camera. Right. And you know that they killed their lover. Like, they did that. <laughs> right. He actually did it. Right. It's yeah. not just he he's just saying think it. about it. <laughs> he did it. And it's in a horrible, horribly traumatic way. Dr. Sasha Bardet says that the first thing he noted while watching this interview with Robert Lopez was his monotone speech and how he sounded a little garbled and basically had a completely unflinching stare. I mean, if you watch this, he's staring right into the camera the entire yep. time. Yep. Barely breaking eye contact. Yeah. And Sasha tells us that these are characteristics of someone on medication. At one point, the producer actually asks Robert what medication he's on, and he tells us that he's on Thorazine, 100 milligrams in the AM and 200 milligrams in the PM. He says that it keeps him stable. Now, Thorazine is a very powerful tranquilizing drug, and due to his immense anger issues, this is basically used as a chemical straitjacket, Sasha says, to keep, quote, the beast contained. End quote. Can you imagine the long-term effect of a drug like this? No, I Just, think of like it turning your brain to mush. Yes, I literally, not that it matters in his case because he's horrible, but can you imagine just like what this will do to you over time and maybe that drug, depending on how long he's been on it now, maybe that's why he speaks the way he is so unintelligently. Maybe. Maybe it has something to do with that. Because if he's on this nonstop to keep him, quote, normal, that's fucking scary. That is scary. Imagine him off it and how fucking crazy he is. Right. Like, literally nuts. Right. I can't even imagine. Too but much. it's it's almost sad, though, too. Because I, and I always kind of go in this direction. Imagine what taxpayers are paying for him to take that medication. Because oh. you know that medication is not cheap. No. I've never even heard of it before. It's a tranquilizing medication. Mm -hmm. Not cheap. That's something that you don't hear of very often. So it's definitely going to be expensive. And if he's taking that many, right? just imagine how much money is going towards him taking this drug to keep him, quote, normal. It's too much for me to handle. I can't think about it for too long. <laughs> Especially when we both know that had he just been spanked as a child, none of this... <laughs> None of this would have happened. <laughs> it stems back to the spanking. Absolutely. <laughs> I I actually didn't think you were going to say that. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> it's been a while. I thought you had some philosophical thing to say. <laughs> that was philosophical. <laughs> Just the way you were going about it. Like you knew what you were about to say. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was prepared. Now, we find out that Lopez grew up on the outskirts of Newark, New Jersey. Robert tells us that he's a product of a dysfunctional family and he did not have a father figure. He says that he never really had a childhood and that he was always kind of an angry little boy. 
He also goes on to say that he was never told that he was loved as a child. At this point, honestly, I feel like he's just grasping at every single wrongdoing that could have happened. Yeah. And even Sasha Bardet tells us that he points blame at all of these things as justification for his deep well of anger. Exactly. Which exactly. is exactly what it is. It's like, oh, I'm an asshole because of this. I'm an asshole because of this. How about you're just an asshole because you're an asshole? Yeah, because there's plenty of people that grow up in really bad situations and don't end up murdering people and or continually trying to murder people. Right. You have to take some responsibility and he doesn't even even know how to do that, nor would he no. ever want to do that. Right. He doesn't want to believe that it's his fault. No. It's everyone else's fault and how his parents brought him up, or I should say his mother brought him up and how his dad wasn't in the picture. It's just he needs to play the blame game constantly. Now, we find out that by his teenage years, he had become a violent criminal. And also, can we just note the Freddie Mercury mustache that he's rocking throughout this in his, like, teenage <laughs> yeah. photos? I'm yeah. Like, you look real. He looked like a completely different person, though. Totally different person. I, I would have even... never known who it was. No. Mm-mm. I don't know. I mean, I know they said, and Sasha Bardet kind of relates it to the drugs and, like, that can change you in prison and and prison life in general that kind of changes your appearance but he legit did not look like the same guy no not and maybe it was because he was outside more and like his skin was a little bit darker in some of the pictures that we saw right whereas you know and he had hair and he had hair and but he didn't he doesn't get to go out as much as he probably did then obviously being a free man at that point right but totally looks different I, i was shocked yeah robert says that he fought every single day at school and he one time even struck a friend with a baseball bat because he stole his bike. What I mean, the, who does that? Jesus. A baseball bat. Yeah. They didn't specify what kind, but like imagine hitting someone with a metal baseball bat. Even wood. I mean, that's they, they would, heavy as fuck. Yeah, they would both hurt. Ouch. But like, I think metal would be. Metal on bone. Oh, Think about that sound. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> Ew. It's like reminds me of like teeth grinding sound. Yeah. Like it makes me like, it's ah, I can't even think about it. Well, he says he grew up like a badass and, quote, liked that thug life, end quote. Which totally is see that. so fucking dumb to me. I just don't get it. He said that he stole cars. He broke into stores and residential homes. And he always felt like he was never good enough for his mom. He basically goes on to describe his mom as being funny, hilarious, but a mean old lady for calling the cops on him. (laughs) That is what he says. And that is it. There is nothing else that goes on to explain why she's a mean old lady other than for calling the cops on his ass. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, I think it's like he felt betrayed by her. Oh. And that made her mean because she shouldn't have done that. Even though he was breaking the law and being a horrible human being... She was probably worried for her safety, to be completely honest. I would be if I was around him. Hell yeah. Now, by 16, his mother had had enough and kicked him out of the house. Sasha tells us that people like Lopez became who they become at birth. And he says that, of course, environment has a heavy influence, too. Now, he doesn't see any clear single event in this man's life that actually points to this major shift in his personality being, you know, somebody who is nonviolent to incredibly violent. Sure. Eventually, after moving around a lot, Lopez lands in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania with his grandparents. And that's where he falls in love. Robert tells us that he met Libby at Walgreens in 1992. He tells us that he was shoplifting at the time. (gasps) He was so, like, nonchalant about it. Yeah. Like, Like, you know, I just met her while I was shoplifting. Yeah, no big deal. 
And then what did he shoplift, so, Amy? Here's the thing. He tells us that he goes, I used to steal power tools. They sell power tools at Walgreens. No, they don't. That's what I'm like. <laughs> what kind of power tools do you think that you're stealing? Or were you just in the wrong store? <laughs> right. Did you think you were at Walmart? I don't know. It was very weird. <laughs> very weird. We find out that 16-year-old Libby Williams was smitten with a 22-year-old Lopez. Hold that for just a moment. I literally just saw a meme the other day that says, To any girls under the age of 18, do not think that he thinks that you are mature for your age. He's a fucking creep and all the girls his age know it. Right. Right. This is weird. This is gross. This is too much. Especially being only 16 and he's 22. One can barely drive and one can go to the bar. And that's not legal. Not at all. They're not able to have that kind of relationship legally. No. So that's got to tell you something. Well, and then we find out that things go horribly wrong over a period of two years that they were together. On January 13th of 1994, police respond to a 911 call from his grandfather's house. When they arrive, they find Libby Williams dying on the kitchen floor from a brutal stabbing. Nick Engelson, a former Northampton County prosecutor, tells us that this was a particularly egregious stabbing. He says that there was blood all over the scene. Police discovered that the grandfather had actually intervened to try to help Libby that night. And he had come downstairs and seen the altercation. Robert stopped immediately. He walked away, but he came back and kicked Libby in the stomach several times. Oh my god. God, like, what a fucking freak. Oh, seriously. Like, what? <laughs> that is like the perfect word for it. Like, he is a fucking freak. Who does that? Who does that? That's like kicking someone while they're down. I mean, my God. This was the same kid that, as like a toddler, would like walk up and just kick someone in the nuts for yeah. no fucking reason. Yeah, I'm sure. That's this kid. Oh, my God. And then once they're down, like, spit on them. Like, that's this yes. kid. Oh, absolutely. We find out that there were cut marks all over her clothing. She had been stabbed in the arms, chest, neck, basically cutting every part of her, cutting a main artery, and then several stabs in the head, as well as a final one right below the left eye. Oh. I cannot. No. I cannot. Libby is rushed to the hospital where doctors try to save her life. Nick says it's amazing but she fucking survives the attack you guys i can't even believe it and this is where we meet her literally i was screaming when she came on the screen i'm like holy shit i know we actually get to hear her side of the story like typically they don't live through something like that so we never get to hear their side of the story so she got to like give us a play-by-play of how she felt during this attack because we can all assume that when someone's getting attacked like this you hope that they don't feel the pain, that they don't really know what's happening to them, or they that they die quickly so they don't have to, like, go through that. Right, experience all of Yeah. It. But, like, we get to hear from her, and it is insane. Libby tells us that she was Robert's girlfriend at the time that she was assaulted by him. And two years before the day of the stabbing, she had met a man that was completely different from the man that we saw today. She goes on to say that she was 16 when she met Robert, just getting off her shift at work. He had come up to her to start flirting with her, saying things like, you're cute, what's your number, etc. Just 
you know, trying to be charming. I doubt it was charming. But, you know, being a 16-year-old girl, that kind of attention is nice. Especially by an older boy. Oh, my God. You feel like you're special. You feel like there's something about you that's different that made you stand out to this older guy. Yeah. And she was really attracted to him. Now, we hear from our narrator... And he says that prison life and medication have really taken a toll on Robert's appearance because <laughs> we see, like, this photo of, like, when Libby first met him. Yeah. And then we see him, like, literally in his prison jumpsuit in front of the camera. And like we said before. Well, and it's a 20-year difference. Yes. and But he literally doesn't look like the same person no. at all. I love that they had to qualify <laughs> Like, by the way, this is why he looks like dumpster fire now. (laughs) Just so we're all on the same page here. This is why. Yeah. Very, very gross now. Exactly. Libby goes on to say that she loved his brown eyes. He had a great smile and had an overall niceness about him. When she said the word niceness. She was 16, Kenzie. She had no fucking clue what she was talking about. I'm like, well, even now, though, I don't even know, knowing what he did to me, if that was me, I don't even know if I could use the word nice in a sentence with his name. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, except for the fact that you have to, in a, in a way, still be sort of in shock that somebody that yeah. you fell for, because, of course, nobody is going to show you their true colors on the first meeting, right? No, and none of us do that. It could be months or even years before people start really showing who they really are. They need to get comfortable with you. Yeah. No, I get it. but Which is why all these murders happen 10 years after people have been married. Yep. Well, and I I just, that's just so icky. I don't like the word nice being used with Robert Lopez. He is fucking scum of the earth. Well, my guess is he was probably super charming in the beginning. Oh, I'm sure he's very manipulative. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like he can be that chameleon where he plays the role that he needs to play to get what he wants. Right. Right. I can totally see that. That happens with a lot of different psychopaths, narcissists, whatever. They do what they need to do to get what they want. But then when they actually know that they have you, then they make that switch. Right. Because then they know that they they already have you. So they don't need to, to play this game anymore. Sasha Bardet does say that he was charming with a lot of energy and he makes the woman feel like it's going to be a Cinderella story at first. And that's what all girls want, right? That happily ever after, that white pick offense type yeah, of like fuck you, feeling. Disney. Right. And this is what makes him particularly dangerous because these women really don't know what they are getting themselves into when they get into these relationships with him. Libby then says that being with Robert gave her a new sense of life. It was completely different than anything she had ever experienced before. Again, she's 16, you guys. She hasn't experienced anything. No, there's Let's no be life honest. that she has yet. She even forgot about all of her friends because it was all about him at that point. Yeah. And Lopez fell hard for Libby as well. Now, the film crew started asking Robert about how he met Libby, and he goes on to say that when he saw Libby's eyes, it felt like puppy love to him. He fell in love really quickly. He thought of her as his prized possession. If he couldn't have her, then no one could. Can I just say, I fucking hate when people call women prized possessions. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. That's a fucking human being, not a possession. Right. Like, fuck off. Yeah. The only possession you own as a human being is when you give birth to them. And right. And they're only your possession for a short amount of time. <laughs> right. Because then they start talking and having their own fucking opinions <laughs> and they don't want to talk to you anymore and they don't want to hug you anymore yep. and you basically have no control. <laughs> 
And I, oh, oh, and the way he said it, you could tell that that is completely well, his a, beliefs and the it. way oh, he lives his life. Absolutely. Yep. Libby says that he was really controlling and he would control what she said, what she did, what she looked like or who she looked at, just every aspect of her life. Girl, red flags left and right. I mean, obviously, in her defense, she did try to get out and he obviously tried to kill her. But oh my God, when someone thinks of you as a possession and needs to control your life, that's not a good sign. No. Now, Sasha tells us that his first reaction was to blame her. Like, what is she doing that is making me feel jealous and insecure? Again, he can never take responsibility for his actions. And he always came back to that she must be having an affair with someone. He always thought that his girlfriends were cheating on him. If he didn't know where they were, if they weren't with him all the time, he was nervous that they were out with other men. Oh, he was incredibly insecure and jealous. Oh my gosh, the jealousy. Yes, the jealousy and insecurity wore through the roof with this guy. Yeah. He is someone that is not able to take ownership in anything, so he projects it out onto others. And he makes her responsible for how he is feeling. And it's a really dangerous cycle. Uh Uh-huh. And the possessiveness turns into anger, and that's when he starts using his hands, because that's all he knows how to do. If only he would have used his hand on himself and just (laughs) beat it a little bit. Yes, yes. He would have been fine. He would have been fine. (laughs) Or just beat himself in the head with a hammer. That would have been fine, too. Beat his little head with a hammer. (laughs) Libby goes on to say that he would always ask these questions. Are you sure you didn't sleep with this guy? Or are you sure you were with your mom? Always questioning if she was actually telling him the truth about what she was doing. And it feels like to me that they weren't really ever apart. Right. How was she doing any of this? Because he was way too controlling and possessive over her that I don't even think she was really able to get away from him that much. And ultimately, he wouldn't believe her and he would hit her. He would punch her in the face, but then break down and cry, saying he was so sorry for what he had done. And she was actually afraid to lose him. She kept telling herself that Rob could change. This is what makes me so sad for domestic violence victims because some of them do feel that they need them in their life because they've been beaten down so much by this person, making them feel like they're nothing when they are deserving of so much more, you know? Right. Like they get, they should have someone that truly loves them and would never hurt them. You know, it just breaks my heart. After two years, with Robert being in and out of jail, Libby finally came to the realization he had been super controlling, and since he was in jail and not able to do that, she didn't want to be with him anymore. She liked herself better without him. So I think for her, this was actually kind of a blessing in disguise, despite the fact that he tried to kill her. This was a blessing in disguise for her to come to that realization like, wow, my life is much better without him. Right. Like, I don't need his toxicity in my life anymore. Yeah. On January 13th, 1994, Libby met Robert at his grandparents' house to end their relationship. Robert says that Libby tried to leave him and it felt like the worst type of betrayal. She told him, it's over, and he replies with, is it? Is it over? Oh, I could, right before he said it, I was like, I knew that would be the type of response he would have for her. I hate it because it's seriously like he's picking a fucking fight. Yeah. With like, 
just somebody. You know, uh, that's not even what I mean to say. But do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yep. such like, is it? Is it over? Childish. Yes. Now, Dr. Sasha Bardet says that there is a triggering moment for him when it becomes this intense fear of being left behind or abandoned, and it shatters his world in the snap of a finger. And that is how quick his personality changes. Like, it is instantaneously. Totally. You can see it on camera, even. When he's asked certain questions, you can see the look on his face, a veil, right before your eyes, and it is terrifying to watch yeah it is so scary i can't even imagine being in that man's presence and watching it in person scary no libby tells us that robert told her that you're not leaving and she recalls seeing a knife when she walked into the kitchen dr barday goes on to say that relationships end and people break up that does not cause an average person to become so full of rage and anger to become homicidal In Robert's situation, he feels like his entire being is about to dissolve due to this breakup. Sasha would characterize him as a push-button killer. He has a unique set of emotional triggers that, when pressed, unleash a murderous rage. Robert claims that all of his rage stems from time spent with his father. He goes on to say that he is really abusive just like his dad. They have the same temper and same heroin drug habit. Drinking, smoking, and abusive just like his dad. I mean, honestly, like, I've heard the apple doesn't fall far. But, like, could you even try to be different? Right. Could you try? (laughs) Just a little bit. After leaving his mother's home in 1986, Lopez found his father, whom he had not seen in a decade. Robert said that when he was 16, he visited his dad in Puerto Rico. It's really not clear what Robert was looking for by seeing his father, but what he found was corrosive. Robert goes on to say that his dad showed him how to cook heroin, how to inject heroin. His dad was the first person to hold his arm while he took his other hand and injected himself with drugs. He says it makes him cry thinking about it. He thinks his dad turned him into the monster that he is. Interesting that that makes him super emotional. Yeah. But the idea of murdering and stabbing someone nearly to death doesn't. It's so compartmentalized. It's so selfish. Yeah. He's so fucking, like, narcissistic. Yes. It's all about him. It's all about himself, for sure. Dr. Sasha Bardet says that Lopez continually throughout the interview refers to himself as a monster and he thinks it shows two things. Number one, it shows he's not fully integrated in terms of his personality. The anger part of him almost feels separate to him. And number two, it's also a way for him to put the blame on someone else and not having to take any responsibility. Again, he will never take responsibility for anything he has done. It's always someone else's fault, and he blames the victims for what he did to them. Right. It's horrible. Yeah, they made me do it. Right, right. Robert goes on to say that his dad always told him, if a woman ever cheats or betrays you, you take care of business. This would be why your mother wasn't with your father, you stupid jackass. Right. And by take care of business, he must have interpreted it as killer. By any means necessary. Yes. Because she betrayed you and that is not okay. 
Volpez had described how his father had taught him to live by a certain code of taking care of business when it comes to these women, and he thinks it's just a fabrication to try to help him find a rationale for his actions. I totally believe that. Oh, same. Who knows if his dad actually ever said anything like this? He probably, again, he's so drugged out, he probably made some of this shit up in his head and made himself actually believe that it was true, and it's not. And here's the other thing, too. His dad could have just been honestly talking bullshit. Like, oh, yeah. trying to make himself seem like such a big shot and such right. a man. No. Or completely on drugs or alcohol. Right. You know what I mean? Like, not even in the right state of mind when he was saying these things. Yeah. But Robert's really fucked up. He takes these things literally, clearly. But why are you listening to a man who was never even in your goddamn life? Why do you care what he thinks and or says? Two words. Daddy issues. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Eight years later, Lopez's inner beast is about to come out. It's now January 13th, 1994, and we're back in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Robert says that when Libby tries to leave, he says, quote, if I can't have you, nobody else can. He says, I just wanted to kill her. Libby says that the next thing she knows, he picks up the knife on the kitchen counter and comes after her with it. She had put her hands up defensively, but he just kept coming at her. Oh, my God. The knife was actually entering her body and coming back out. She remembers it. That's disgusting. (gasps) Disgusting. What would you feel? That would feel like an out-of-body experience. I don't even think you would realize it was actually happening and or if it was real because that doesn't fucking happen. No, and I think the shock would prevent you from even totally understanding or believing what was actually happening. And hopefully, because she didn't go into detail, but hopefully, like, she was in such shock that she didn't actually feel these things happening to her. Well, I think she felt it. I don't think she felt the pain of it. Right, the pain of it. The sensation was there, probably. But, like, not that, because that has to be painful. Like, after, like, that wears Uh. off, that, like, shock and that adrenaline wears off, that's when people start to, like, that's when the feel it. Yeah. Right. That's when you like get like sore, right? The after effect, because I'm sure it was a really tough recovery for her. Oh. But the actual thought of like l- surviving that and remembering it. Ew. Oh my God. Yeah. Nightmares. I mean, for the honestly, rest of your could life. you be afraid of anything else? I would literally probably be afraid of all people. Of all people. I don't know if I'd ever be able to get over that. Like someone you loved came after you and tried, literally tried to kill you. And you remember it all. And you're still here. Right. Crazy. No. I, no. I don't ever want to know that. No. Well, Robert says that he remembers her pleading for him to stop, saying that she loved him and to just stop, but he didn't believe her. So he just kept stabbing her. And he describes this anger built up inside of him. And being released sort of like the Incredible Hulk. Right. Which I'm like, sorry, no. I think he wants to relate himself to someone that can't help themselves. Yeah. Gross. Now, before he could deliver the fatal blow, his grandfather walked in and ends up pulling him off of her. Sasha says that Robert had been consumed with jealousy because of how much he dislikes himself. Obviously, that insecurity is right there at Mm -hmm. the tip of everything. He knows that eventually Libby's going to see how much he hates himself and she's going to want to leave him, but he can't let that happen. No. She can't leave him. She's going down. Yeah, for sure. 
Libby remembers at the hospital her mom coming in and wondering what had happened. And she looked at her mom and says, Mom, he tried to kill me. And at this point, they didn't know if she was going to live yet. Right. So this was right when she got to the hospital. So this was still really up in the air about whether or not she was even going to survive this. Because when you lose that kind of blood, I mean, you can die from so many different things. Just blood loss alone. But other organs start shutting down. Things happen, right? So it could have been really bad for her. And I think she wanted her mom or someone to know that it was him. Right. So in case she did die, that at least he'd get prosecuted for it. Exactly. And get convicted. Yeah. We find out that Libby ended up with numerous deep lacerations on her head, neck, shoulders, and arms, and she had been quickly losing blood, as you just mentioned. Libby remembers thinking that she was going to die. She even goes on to explain that the blade of the knife had broken off when he stabbed her in the eye. I'm telling you, you guys, they show x-rays. Holy fuck balls. It went through her eye and into the bottom part of her brain They couldn't see it at first because her skin and her face was so swollen. It swelled up around it. They didn't even see it. Oh, my God. How this did not make her blind, I don't know. Right. How? This is, it literally looked like it went right either into her eye or right behind it. How did it not, like, cut all of, you know what I mean? Like, you guys, it's so gross. It is so sick. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, like, x-rays that you see on like a, the discovery channel yeah where they're like oh yeah Th- those like crazy people that come into the er that have crazy things inside of them yes. it reminded me of that yes she wants everybody to know though that she is not a victim she is a survivor so Hell that is yeah. how she looks at herself and thank god there are people out there that still think that way right robert says he feels bad about what he did no one should be hurt like that but at the time, he says, quote, I should have killed her. She just lucked out, end quote. He's saying like two completely different things. He's such a juxtaposition through this entire documentary. It's so annoying. It it's is like very annoying. You're saying that like you feel bad. First of all, no, the fuck you don't. Nope. You don't feel bad. You're you feel bad that you didn't kill her. That yep. that's the better like scenario here that's happening. It's not that the fact that, oh, you feel bad you did it to her. No. You're mad that you didn't finish the job. Yep. That's the only reason that you feel bad. But then he literally, immediately after that, says that he still should have killed her. It's like, the fuck are you saying then? You don't make any sense. Up that medication. <laughs> Just by like a thousand milligrams and then Whatever's maybe he like won't wake put up. him out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lopez is charged with attempted murder and four counts of aggravated assault. But rather than going to trial, he pleads to a lesser offense. Of course. Like a fucking coward. Well, and I think that's always what the attorneys are going to tell them to do. Especially in a case like this where he for sure is guilty of it. He did it. The victim is obviously still alive. Or the survivor, I should say, is still here to tell her side of the story that, yes, he did it. So they're like, if you go to a jury trial, you will spend the rest of your life in prison. Or... If you just plea right now guilty and not do all that, we'll give you a lesser sentence. Okay, why is that fair? Uh, it's not. That's fucked up. He should have never gotten out of prison. No. Because how many years did he get for this? Well, he ends up being sentenced to 11 years in prison. He pled guilty to aggravated assault, a first-degree felony, which is a pretty serious offense. 
but the other charges were withdrawn as part of the plea deal. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't feel like that's okay. No, it's... it's Attempted murder it's not fair. should have never been dropped. No. I think it all comes down to the court system and money and time spent on a jury. And, like, that's why they get off on a lesser sentence. Do the lesser sentences for drug charges. What right. the fuck? Why is a lesser sentence for somebody who attempted to murder somebody? Right. Because he is someone who could potentially do it again. Right. What are you... Do- what? I don't know. I don't know the thought process. Robert says, it sounds crazy, but he still loves her. And he thinks about her every day. Oh, my God. Puke. Just fucking puke. I don't want to hear that shit. No. I don't, don't even like that fucking care. Either. Nope. I don't what I don't care what you fucking say. You're a pile of garbage. Rot in fucking person like you should. Well, and Sasha says it's a huge contradiction. You know, on an emotional level, it sort of makes sense. However, back then when he was angry and he wanted to kill her, suddenly now he feels this fantasy in his head of their romantic relationship that they would have had. He forgot about what made him angry at the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It like, reminds me of like graduation goggles from How I Met Your Mother where they're talking about like you can't wait to graduate high school because mm-hmm. you loathe every part of it. Yeah. But then on graduation night, you're like, oh, but I had so much fun and I love yeah. this. And I'm going to miss it so yep. much. I think no. that's the same in every part of life. You know what I mean? Like, even with jobs, you may hate the job, but then, like, when your last day – well, not for everyone, but when your last day I comes – I can't relate. You might miss, like, your coworkers or, like, you know, you kind of think back on the good times and then you kind of miss it a little bit. Yeah. It kind of happens in all forms of life. In January of 2005, after serving his time, Robert Lopez is released. We meet Charles Keefe. He's the former New Hampshire Assistant Attorney General. And he said he had done the max amount of time under the sentence that was given to him, so he was not on parole of any kind. Okay. Again? What the fuck? How is that okay? How do you just let somebody out and nobody's checking up with him? These people need to be continually watched throughout the rest of their life. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Like, that has to fucking happen. This person tried to kill someone else. Right. Why aren't they being watched by someone? It's unbelievable to me. I I literally cannot stand it. It drives me through the roof. Yes. Now, news of Robert's release reaches Libby. Can you fucking imagine? No. The horror and the terror and the fear. Oh, my God. Yeah. Think about 10 years later. You're almost 30 now. Yeah. Libby says that she was very scared to learn that he had been released from prison and she was actually most afraid for the next girl that he would end up with because he would try and do the same thing to her. Oh, yeah. I was actually kind of surprised she wasn't more afraid for her own safety, but I think Robert wouldn't have been stupid enough to go and try to find her and or talk to her. I agree. Because he's like... The anger's gone. Right. And he knows that he can start over with someone new. Right. kind of start a new life right and he not have that past to have to talk about with anyone even though he is pretty fucking stupid and idiotic i don't think he would have wanted to do that so she was really more terrified for whoever was going to be his next victim because she knew it was going to happen again well because the thing is is that he's not obsessive he's controlling and possessive possessive. of the woman that he has that he has Mm -hmm. but he's not going to keep going after her because she's been gone now for a decade right she's not visiting him in prison right there is no more connection so it's out of sight out of mind i think he honestly was kind of like well time to move on yeah lucky her she gets to live 
Dr. Sasha Bardet says he doesn't think he's just a typical rage killer. Robert's rage comes up in specific scenarios that stems back from his feelings of abandonment. Like we keep going over this is how it always is. If a girlfriend wants to leave him, he is out for blood. Literally, he's out for blood. In February of 2005, Robert settles near his sister in Manchester, New Hampshire. While he had been looking for work, he met 19-year-old Brandy Bernard at a temp agency. For the record, he's now like 35 or 36 years old. Correct. He's like my age going after a 19-year-old. And again, like you had said before, it's because people his age would not be interested in him. And they would no. they would see all these red flags and these really bad vibes you probably get from him. But if he can get with a teenager... You? Because teenagers think thugs are cute. Yeah. They're cool. They, They're they attractive. Don't, they don't notice the red flags and the real dangerousness sometimes of who they're hanging out with because right. they just they think they're invincible and that's just how we are yep. i was the same way like i used to hang out with people that were not great people yeah but i was you know i was the person that was friends with everyone mm-hmm. i just had this mentality that i was gonna be friends with everyone it's like i never thought about like who some of these people could actually be fucking dangerous people that i shouldn't be hanging out with yeah it's just you're not mature enough yet your brain is not quite there yet to know that oh shit Maybe I should look at some of these things that they're doing and saying to me because it could be bad for me at some point. Yeah. I can't relate. (laughs) I don't like people enough to be friends with everybody. I'm very particular about who I hang out with. Let me tell you, it's not the same way now. (laughs) (laughs) Robert tells us that he walked into this temp agency to fill out an application. And when he saw Brandy, he was immediately in love and knew that he was going to have her. So immediate love. It's like. That's so not real. No. Like, I think he didn't even know what love was. Not I think it was more like a lust. Yep. Like, he was attracted to someone. You can't love somebody just by looking no, at them. No, no. And he keeps saying that this is how he just he just immediately falls for them and knew that that was the love of his life. It's like, no, the fuck you didn't. You didn't know that. You, you were too immature, and you're not open-minded enough to even understand something like that at mm. all. Nope. He loves himself, and that's about it. Yeah. He said he was attracted to her green eyes just as he had been with Libby. So green eyes were a big thing for him. Yeah. Dr. Sasha Bardet says that Robert is the type of individual who is defined by how others see him, especially women with green eyes. Once he is shown love by another person, it starts to fill that void and rage that is built up inside of him. We meet Christina Chinette, who was Brandy's mother, and she said that she would describe Brandy as a strong independent woman she always believed that everyone deserved a second chance we also meet angelina lower who's brandy's sister and she tells us that robert was able to smooth talk brandy and constantly complimented her with all these one-liners she wasn't used to this type of attention and it really made her feel loved again going back to that teenage age it's how they feel when anyone gives you attention you feel really great about it and you feel that like connection with them and or attraction to them yeah Roberts asked about their first date, and he said that they went to the club. They were dancing, drinking, having a great old time. Which is how you know that this is set in the early 2000s. For sure. (laughs) It it brought me back for a second. Oh, my God. For real. My first date (laughs) with my ex was at a club. Yeah. And they stayed out till 2 or 3 a.m. and ended up back at Brandy's place. And he says he could feel the connection with her and knew they loved each other very much. Christina Chinette, her mother, says that in the beginning, he was very nice to her. They had minor disputes, but nothing out of the ordinary. 
Robert admitted to Brandy's mother that he had served time in prison, but proclaims that his sentence was unfair. Christina tells us that she was told by Robert that he and his girlfriend had had a fight that got out of control and he ended up going to jail for domestic violence. But he never discloses to her just how violent it got. No, no. But I still as a mother would be like, I'd be like, yep, nope, you're done. Not jail. You went to prison for domestic violence. Yep. That has to set off some red flags in your mind. Uh, You would think. Now, Sasha Bardet says that he catches glimpses of Robert being a manipulative, rational person. But as soon as he gets upset, that just goes out the window completely. Within a month of meeting each other, they decided to move in together. Charles Keefe comes back, our former New Hampshire assistant attorney general, and he says a familiar pattern started to develop. Robert became very controlling. He didn't trust Brandy at all and needed to know her whereabouts at all times. It's the cycle that just keeps happening with him and these women. Yeah, he clearly wasn't very good in bed because all of these (laughs) women are supposedly cheating on him. Right. Well, I think he's just a very insecure person, and I think that's how he always was. So even if, like, he had everything to offer, if he he was not with them, he always thought that they were doing something else behind his back. He didn't have everything to offer. Small dick. (laughs) Exactly. Small dick mentality. (laughs) Big time. Angelina says that he always thought she was cheating on him. He even wanted her to stay away from her own family because he wanted her all to himself. Guys, fucking red flag. If these men are trying to take you away from everybody you love, that's a fucking problem. There's a reason. There's a there is totally a purpose and you why don't he's doing know that. Why. Exactly. Sasha continues and says he isn't able to change his ways when it comes to his jealousy and his suspicious feelings. He doesn't have much self-esteem, like we just talked about, and is lacking an inner core which makes him believe that this relationship isn't going to last. Because he doesn't feel like he has enough to offer, which I don't think he does. He doesn't. He is a horrible human being. He's a piece of shit. And he's completely jealous, completely controlling, and no one wants to be in a relationship like that. And he knows that. I think he's smart enough to realize that the way he is, is hard to deal with. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So that's probably why he thinks that, oh, this might not last. Unless he can keep up this facade of this fake me, they're not going to really like the real me. And I agree with that. Yeah. Robert's insecurity with Libby led to physical abuse, but he claims that didn't happen with Brandy. Right. Fucking right. Yeah, yeah. You just you go from nothing to killing. No her. way. In his interview, Robert says, I never, ever hit her. Ever, 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 ever. He kept like doing this weird like ever, 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 never, never, never. It was really I couldn't stand it. Yeah. Who are you trying to convince? Robert? And then I'm like, but you did bludgeon her to death. So, OK, you didn't ever physically abuse her. But then all of a sudden you just go right to that. Right. right to full on hammering her to death. Well, and like, like at this point, we already know that you're a piece of shit. Oh yeah. Why would it matter if you ever hit her before? Well, and then he goes on to say that people used to talk about how he had been hitting her, and that it just made his blood boil because he continues to claim he never would do that or never did. Christina Chinette, Brandy's mother, tells us that the police had been called to their house multiple times for domestic violence issues. He had pushed her, thrown shoes at her. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Robert reiterates, after what Christina said about how he pushed her, that he never laid hands on her. He does not agree with what Christina said happened. It's like, 
she had the police reports or she had the she knew what was happening and he's trying to like say that it never happened or maybe he actually believed it himself yeah yeah or doesn't remember it who knows Maybe he didn't do it. It was the devil inside yeah, of him. Yeah, because he wants to pretend that that's another person or yep. that's someone completely different than who he really is. Yeah, like he wants to pretend he has like a split personality. Yeah, but... <laughs> but neither again, of his personalities are good enough to have two. Well, and again, he's going back and forth here. So he reiterates that he's never laid hands on her, but then he immediately tells us that one time he had wrapped his hands around her neck to push her away but quote didn't choke her didn't choke her but just put his hands around her neck to push her away that is such a fucking lie if someone's gonna put their hands around someone's throat they're really not gonna choke them what else do you do when you put your hands around someone's throat that is the main purpose of doing that to someone is to make them stop breathing well sometimes during sexy time kenzie you're not always trying to make them stop breathing. Well, no, but it is a choking. But yes, it's, it's a choking. It's still choking. Yeah, like, there's pressure. There's no other reason to wrap your arms around or no, your hands you around someone's throat. You are constricting that windpipe. Yes. That's what it's for. Even if it's not to physically hurt them, maybe it is for pleasure. That's totally fine. But it's still to choke. Yep. It's not just to push them well, and or like, whatever Why would you push saying. them in that way? It's it's awkward. You wouldn't Super do that. Awkward. You wouldn't do that. Now, our forensic psychologist, Sasha, says that during the interview, he noticed there were several times that when Robert was confronted with the abuse allegations against Brandy, you can see him get triggered and start to get angry. And this is the part I was telling you about. Right. Where you can visibly see it is so immediate. Yeah. Like, the change in, like, his eyes. His like it, jaw clenches Yes. More. And, like, his, the way his face is formed. Yeah. It changes in an instant, and it is so terrifying. Yeah, not a fan. And this can give you a good idea about how quickly he is able to get to this angry and rage-filled place. Robert's perception of betrayal and the resulting physical abuse is just too much for Brandy to handle anymore. Brandy had told her mother that she had wanted out of the relationship at that point. But this is where everything changes. Christina tells us that Brandy found out she was pregnant with Robert's child, so she wanted to try to stay and make it work with him. No. It's never a good idea. Why? Especially in this type of a relationship. It's not a good idea. Why does any woman think that that is a good fucking idea? Ever. You know, I think it's the sense of, like, being left alone. So the fuck Raising a child alone. So what? No, I agree with you completely. It is not that goddamn hard. And I'm sorry. No. 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 I agree with you. But when someone is manipulated by a person for so long to make them feel like maybe they aren't good enough and that this is all they're ever going to be, that it makes them feel more comfortable to stay with them with a baby, especially at her age. Yeah, but she already had her mom's permission to come home. And mom was like, yes, come home. Right. And her mom seems like a pretty decent parent. I when you're at that age, though, of 19, like you're, you're just not. You're not mentally there. No. Like you go back, you keep going back because it's comfortable, right? We never like to be uncomfortable. We never want to be in hard situations and it's just comfortable. We look back on it now and we're like, fuck, no, never. I'd rather be alone. But like then you just, again, it could be abandonment too. Like you don't want to feel abandoned or by yourself or alone or, you know, then you're, you're doing all this by yourself, even though she knew that she had her mother and her sister and probably her family, right? It's just that mentality of the age, I think. The, I the can't age, stand it. Yeah, it's it's sad. It's it, For the most part, it's just really, really sad. Because you just don't want to see someone have to live like that. No. I pray our daughters never have that th- no. like thought process. I know. Well, and hopefully, like, 
their dads will be there to like show them what good men are and what good right. men should do. Right? right. So hopefully they will have the mentality of, I don't fucking need you. Yeah. There, I know there's men out there that treat women well, you yeah. know, and that's what I want to look for. Yeah. You know, don't settle. Exactly. So no pressure, Danny and Jared. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> I think they're already doing a great job. They're doing a great job. I don't even think they need saying, to have the don't pressure. Don't fucking step out of line. <laughs> Not for a second. Yeah. People are watching. Exactly. Christina hated the fact that Brandy would be staying with him, and it wasn't a great time for them to be having a child, obviously. It's, Baby for, having babies. A lot of the time, though, like, when these things happen when you're a teenager or even a young adult, it's having a baby a is never really a good time. No. It's Babies are very expensive, but it happens, you know, and you deal with it. But I think Christina was probably more scared for her daughter than anything oh, yeah. else. Yeah. Now, the news of the pregnancy sends Lopez spiraling down a darker path. Robert says that when he found out about the pregnancy, he said that's when everything changed and it was like she had the devil inside of her. He started to notice that Brandy was starting to distance herself from him and push herself away from him. He did not like this and he knew it was only a matter of time before he hurt Brandy. I thought it was interesting that he claims that the devil was inside of her. Isn't that what he's been saying about himself? Right. He's so contradictory this whole entire well, because, time. Again, it's so he hard can't to listen. take responsibility. Right. So again, it's her fault. Oh, exactly. Robert knew he was losing control over her and her affection, and he wasn't able to cope with those feelings of abandonment. Again, we're just going through this cycle. And this is when Robert starts to become more irritated and irrational. Christine tells us that Robert started getting jealous of the baby. He thought that it may not be his. He started accusing Brandy of cheating again. Brandy kept reassuring him that it was his baby and she had not been cheating on him. But according to Christina, Robert started to threaten violence towards the unborn baby. And he threatened to punch her in the stomach and kill the baby. Oh, my God. I can't. I fucking can't. That makes me, like, want to, like, throw up. Yeah. Oh, my God. Here, take a sip of this maple. Oh, here. my God. <laughs> that will really make me throw up. <laughs> Robert said they had been over at Christina's house and Robert had allegedly stated, I'm going to crack your head. He Which again makes it all better. Nif- he denies ever saying anything about killing the baby. Of course. Of course. That would make him a monster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As <laughs> even, if he's already not. Even though he did. Right. For sure. He did kill the baby. It's now July 4th of 2005. Now, Lopez's mother invites Robert, Brandy, and her mother over for a barbecue at her home in New Jersey. It's the first time that these two families were going to meet. Christina remembers it being a really great time. She says they danced, they laughed, there were fireworks, lots of food. Everybody loved Brandy. They thought she was great. It was a wonderful day. But then at one point, Robert's mother pulls Brandy and Christina aside. Christina says that she pulls out an article about what had happened to Libby that day. And she was absolutely horrified as he had never told them the side of the story i fucking love his mother i I'm, fucking love god jesus i'm like so happy that she is a good fucking human being right and even though this is her son she's fucking terrified for this woman because yep. she knows what happened before and what could potentially happen again absolutely well now at this point of course completely terrified by the attempted murder on libby brandy now tells lopez that she wants to end the relationship Robert says when they get back from New Jersey, he claims that she turned into a beast and had the, quote, devil inside of her. He said to himself, I'm going to hurt her. 
July 21st of 2005, Lopez is waiting for Brandy when she gets home from work. He claims that she started in right away when he asked her, how was your day? And she says, I'm sick and tired of you. His question to her was, well, what's your problem today? And she says, I'm sick and tired of you, you Puerto Rican spick. He says to her, quote, listen, if you call me that one more time, I'm going to send you to the hospital, end quote. Brandy's response was, that's why I'm going to prove to you, you Puerto Rican spick, that this baby ain't yours, end quote. I don't believe a damn word. I don't believe it either. That never fucking happened. No, I don't think it There's happened either. There's no fucking way she would provoke him. I think no, no fucking way she would do that. Especially with a baby. Knowing what she knew now, too? No fucking way. That never, never ever happened. happened. Again, he is making a rationale as to why he had to do what he had to do to her. That's the only reason he's saying this shit. She never said that. No. I think that he came up behind her and she had no fucking idea. I don't even think there was an altercation. There, I think you're probably right. I, because we, we get to see a little bit of the, the crime scene photos. Yeah. The way it was laid out. I literally don't even think she knew it was going to come or and or happen. I don't even no. think there was never an altercation. I think he already had it in his mind that he needed to kill her. Absolutely. Like, I, that's, that is literally how I think it went down. But, yeah. again, we'll never know. Well, and Sasha Bardet says that he believes that Robert is projecting his own fears into the things that he believes she would have said to him. Yeah. So he looks at himself as being a, quote, Puerto Rican spick. Yeah. And... For those of you who don't know, that's a derogatory term. Right. It's not something that you want to be called as somebody of Hispanic heritage. So he's looking at it as being like the equivalent of like white trash, right? Mm -hmm. It's something you don't want to be. It's non-desirable. He thinks that that's how she is perceiving him. So he's just going to interject that terminology into how she would speak to him. When she tells him that it's over... He assumes that this is her admission that the baby is not his. So by her leaving him, she's basically saying, yeah, you're right. It's not really yours because I don't have to stay with you anymore. Right. This is the ultimate betrayal. He gave her an evil look. He says he stared into her soul, but then he walked away. He grabbed his bags and his dog. He says that while he's putting the harness and the leash on his dog, he looks up and he sees a hammer. Before picking up the hammer, though, he hears something say to him, go kill her, Robert, kill her, like it's some other person, again, the demon inside of him, telling him what to do. Is he like a, is he a little bit of a psychopath or a schizophrenic or something? No, I think he's making that up. Do you think? A hundred percent. I like, think he doesn't want to believe that he is that rotten of a person, that he is justifying his anger as sure. being a totally separate part of him. I do not believe he's and schizophrenic And maybe he wants all. people to believe that he is a little yep. bit. Yep. Okay. Okay. Because I was like, does he actually have it or is he making no, himself I believe he has it, it or wants us to perceive that that's what he has? Well, and even Sasha Bardet doesn't think he, that he believes he's possessed, but instead has this relationship with his anger sure. that he really kind of feels like it is taking over his life. So he gives it this other name. Think about like an alter ego, right? Yep. Exactly. So now, blind with rage, he attacks Brandy with the hammer. Robert remembers her fighting back, trying to protect herself, but then she just slumps over. He (gasps) says that he grabs her by her hair and just kept hitting her in the head. Oh my god. I, like, I have this mental image. I'm like... It's awful. It is 
Oh my God. It's it is awful. so horrifying. Well, and to make it all worse, he ends up hitting Brandy in the head 36 times with the hammer, then checks her pulse just to make sure that she's actually dead. 36 times. That's not where it ends. Okay. Oh my God, you guys. He then goes on to kick her in the face. And then he says, quote, I told you so, you fucking white bitch. You fucked with the wrong one, end quote. He then leaves the house and drives away in her car, consumed by anger. Oh my God, this is so disgusting, you guys. Well, Robert then says that he was worried that she might actually still be alive, like she could have possibly lived through that. So he turns around and goes back to the house and hits her a couple more times. <gasps> That's it's... fucking ballsy. Well, it is. And the producer then asks, you know, was it hard for you to see her like that? And he did not find it hard to see her face and says that at that time he didn't love her. He just wanted to kill her. <sighs> he says that also he was not at all thinking about the baby. Sasha says this was quite a personal attack. Because he not only wanted to annihilate her face, but the entire idea of her as a person. He does say that he believes that Robert was afraid that the unborn child would actually take away some of the affection and attention that Brandy would have given to him. Well, and Sasha did say something that really resonated and something I'd never really thought about before. He said that our most defining feature as human beings is our face. Yeah. And it fucking is. Like, I've never thought about that, but he wanted to annihilate that. So, yep. like, that was forever taken from her. You know what I mean? Like, her, the, the physical idea that makes her different from someone else. Yeah. Her defining feature is her face. Okay, it's like the equivalent of when we would grab our yearbooks and be pissed off at somebody and you scribble out that yeah. person's face to the point where you cannot see who they are. Right. All you see is a, a name <sighs> next to that photo. Same, I mean, it's the same concept, right? Yeah, it was literally something I had never thought of before. Yeah. Well, he ends up hiding the hammer under the kitchen sink and leaves. He goes to his sister's house, actually, because he has another victim in mind. Robert says that he wanted to kill Matt, his sister's boyfriend, because Matt was supposedly abusive to her kids. But Sasha believes that Robert was truly just looking for another reason to still be mad because his rage hadn't been lifted off of his shoulders after killing Brandy. Robert remembers getting to his sister's house, going straight into the kitchen, grabbing a butcher knife, and then going upstairs to their bedroom. But just as quickly as the murderous rage came on, it quickly dissipated. But while in the bedroom with the knife cocked back, I mean ready to stab, he immediately stopped and thought he didn't want to do this to his sister and he didn't want her and the kids to suffer. Suddenly now he's this pillar of, you know, sympathy. He's he's already in the bedroom about to kill this guy over something that has never been substantiated. Right. There's been no evidence of him ever actually doing this, you know? Exactly. Sasha believes that, you know, possibly all of that leftover rage had made him want to rationalize killing again. But as soon as it left, so did the need to rationalize anything else. So at this point, he's like, well, maybe he's not such a bad guy. Robert then steals his sister's SUV and starts driving towards Boston. His sister quickly discovers that her car is missing and reports it stolen to the police. Charles Keefe tells us that she woke up and saw that her SUV was missing, but also noticed that Brandy's car was at her house. 
Robert's sister tells police she thought her brother was the one that took her vehicle. Meanwhile, Brandy's mother is unable to get in touch with her and reports her missing. Police show up at Brandy's house and discover the horrific crime scene. David Ruoff, that former New Hampshire Assistant Attorney General, said that when you come upon a scene like that and you are in the presence of this girl's brutal and violent end, no one could even speak. It's probably so unbelievable to see. Yeah. Detective Captain Nick Willard of the Manchester PD said that the injuries they observed were absolutely horrific. The personal aspect of the crime was very apparent, and they could tell that she had purposefully been hit in the eyes and head multiple times. David goes on to say that they quickly identified Robert Lopez as their main suspect, and they learned that there was evidence that he had made threats on Brandy's life. Manchester police issue a bulletin for Robert Lopez. David explains that Robert had just committed a horrible act and could potentially be a threat to society. They were not sure if he was mentally unbalanced or carrying weapons of any kind, and the outcome could be unpredictable if they didn't catch him soon. Detectives soon learned that Robert had relatives in Newark, New Jersey. They believed he was heading to his mother's house. They didn't want Robert's family to be at risk by not telling them what had happened, so they did inform them ahead of time. Good. On July 22nd of 2005, just as they thought he would, Robert arrives at his mother's house the day after Brandy's murder. Charles says that at this point, his family knew he had murdered Brandy and they were aware of how brutal it was. Robert tells us that when he arrived at his mom's house, his aunt Maggie came right up to him and asked him why he killed Brandy. I don't fucking think that that was true either. I'm like, who would do that? Who would tip him off like that? That doesn't even make sense to me. No. Everything he says is like, you take it with a grain of salt. Because there's no way all of this shit is true. He tells us that he just sat down, smoked some cigarettes, and waited for his mom. He knew he was going to go to prison for a long time, and he wanted to see his mom for the last time. A member of his family called the Newark police who took Robert into custody. He immediately confesses to killing Brandy. We see this image of him, too, in the interrogation room. I'm not kidding. It's a fucking different person. It didn't look like him at all. There is no fucking way that's him. Like, it was so weird. Yeah. Because he did not look like the same human being. During the trial, his attorney argues that he acted without premeditation. Charles says that if the jury actually believed that, they could have found him guilty of second-degree murder. And a second-degree murder conviction would mean he might be able to get out of prison one day. Holy fuck fuck would that be scary uh this yeah. guy never should walk free ever he shouldn't have been let out the first time no absolutely not brandy's sister angelina remembers robert coming into the courtroom and connecting eyes with him she recalls the evil look he gave her and it still haunts her to this day oh i can't imagine brandy's mother christina tells us that she looked at robert and stated to robert i want to tell you something May God bless your soul, because I don't know what made you feel that you had the right to take her from me. Charles says that he did admit that he did decide to kill her. He had thought about the hammer and made the decision to use it not once, not twice, but 36 times. The jury deliberated for less than two hours before returning their verdict. Charles tells us that Robert was convicted of first-degree murder, and under the law, it was an automatic sentence of life without parole. Robert will not leave prison until he is in a coffin. Hallelujah. Right? Robert is now showing the film crew his tattoos, 
and he has one tattoo that represents what he did to Libby and Brandy. It's the letters T-B-F-W-T-W-O, which translates to the bitch fucked with the wrong one. What a fucking dickhead. Oh my god. What a fucking dickhead. Oh my god. This, this motherfucker. It wasn't even like a memorial tattoo nope. for like feeling. Nope. nope. It's just like, nope. He's a fucking awful human being. Bitches messed with the wrong person. He, fucking awful human being. Why? He is a waste of fucking good oxygen. Like, get him off this fucking planet. I just can't. No, seriously. I can't. Dr. Bardet tells us that he takes his own bad thoughts and behaviors and blames it on everybody else in the world. He blames his father for his certain code of behavior, and he blames his victims for wanting to leave him. He is unable to take responsibility for his actions. Libby comes back and says that she completely understands Brandy's fear and feeling she was feeling as this attack was happening on her. You just can't believe that he is doing it to you. It's unbelievable. Yeah. She knows firsthand the type of fear that Brandy was feeling at the end. Because she's been there. Been there, done that. Yes, exactly. Christina's mother remembers Brandy as a beautiful person inside and out, and she thanks God every day that she was blessed with her. Libby ends our documentary here and says that she got married, has a new baby, and a new life that she absolutely loves. She truly believes he would kill again if he got a chance because he just doesn't care. We get some on-screen text that states Robert Lopez is serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. And that's where this documentary ends. Jesus. So tragic. My Super, God. yeah. Unfucking believable I know. I'm so glad, though, that, like, he is in prison until he fucking dies. And I I hope it's soon. I literally hope it's soon. I I, hope it's painful. I hope it's cancer. I hope it's, like, bone cancer because that shit fucking hurts. Yeah. And then he can't get any drugs for it. Yes. I I truly hope he dies a horribly, horribly painful death because that's what he deserves. I'm sorry. And it shouldn't be – it shouldn't take until he's 80 or 90 years old. It should be, like, tomorrow. That'd be nice. (laughs) Well, yes, that he gets it. But not that it takes his life. Oh, no, no, no. That he gets it and that he has and it for like a year. And then out till he's like 80 yeah. or 90. <laughs> yeah, he has it for, for a good 30 years. <laughs> Why not? And it's just a horrible, horrible life. Yeah. Oh, well, that one was a tough one, you guys. Um, But glad to know that he is no longer ever going to walk this fucking earth as a free man. Yes. Ever. Yes, that's a good thing. Don't forget to tune in next time. The episode that we're going to be covering is from the series Killer Cases, and this one is going to be on the murder of Dr. Teresa Seavers, a beautiful, popular, rising social media star who was suddenly found dead in her kitchen in Florida. Yeah, so this will be interesting, too. And this is along the same lines as that hog farmer. So the same series. Yeah, same series that we cover with with the hog farmer and his and his the pitchfork right. and his wife and everything. Yeah. So same series, just another episode. Yeah. In the meantime, if you have any other episodes that you'd like us to cover, don't forget to send us an email at requests at sheercrimepodcast.com. You can join our Facebook group, Sheer Crime Podcast Discussion Group. On Instagram, you can find us at sheer underscore crime underscore podcast. Twitter is at sheer crime pod and TikTok at sheer crime podcast. Rest assured, we are getting a little bit slow on some of our social media. 
currently with the holidays, <laughs> with everything being busy crazy, life, busy life, but we're still out there. We're still doing things. It just may not be on the daily. Yes. We're, we're trying, though. We're trying. <laughs> There's only two of us. Yes. We, we get no support so <laughs> as far as anything else with this podcast. It's just the two of us. So exactly. We're doing what we can right now. With that being said, we would like to thank you all for listening. It's officially been like over a year mm-hmm. that we have been producing and putting these episodes out. And yes. we still have as much fun every week as we did back then yes and we hope to get back to more regular episodes coming out more often yes um and we have some ideas of how to make that happen that we'll share with you later on stay tuned stay tuned and uh with me not having anything else left to say and our battery quickly dying on our laptop while we're recording here thank you for listening stay safe stay sane and remember never run with scissors bye guys bye